0: have your Bibles with you, open them to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, Leviticus chapter 23, and also Exodus 19. Leviticus 23, Exodus 19. Just two places this morning. Hallelujah. Put one thumb in one place, the other thumb in the other place. I'm going to start by reading Leviticus 23, verses 23 and 24 in the New King James. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. This is talking about the Feast of Trumpets. And God said it's a holy convocation. So it's a memorial and memorials remind us of something that's very important something that the lord never wants us to forget but what is the blowing of the trumpets what does it remind us of what is it representative of It's to remind us of the time that god manifested himself to the children of israel in a remarkable and spectacular way on mount sinai and that's what we're going to look at now in exodus 19 Verses 10 and 11. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. So for two days, you're going to be consecrating yourselves and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. I mean, those significant things happen on the third day for on the third day the lord will come down upon mount sinai in the sight of all the people god in three days was going to manifest himself on mount sinai in the sight of all the people and god told moses to have the people sanctify themselves to wash themselves to consecrate themselves because they're going to be standing on holy ground and they're going to get ready to see the lord and so in just three days i'm going to come down from heaven save the lord and i'm going to show myself or manifest myself to all of israel you know our god is a personable god Amen. and he he wants to be close to us and he wants us to be close to him he loves talking with us and he loves walking with us he loves Fellowship and communion. That was his whole reason for creation. God wanted fellowship and communion. He loves his family. He loves his children and God wants a big family. And that's why he's been so patient and and waiting so patiently for the precious fruit of the earth. He wants a big family. And every day it goes by and people are added to the kingdom, added to the family. It just causes the Lord to rejoice. But he used to come down from heaven and he would walk, physically walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. And he would commune with them, fellowship with them. And as they're walking down the garden path, I would have loved to have been a proverbial fly on the wall just to listen to the conversation that he had with his children. I just can't imagine what God and Adam and Eve talked about, but I'll tell you what it had to be spectacular Adam was probably the smartest person in the world I mean after all he named all the plants all the animals all the rivers he named everything And if you stop and think about it in a minute when you when you think of a lion it looks like a lion When you think of an elephant it looks like an elephant I mean, Adam had some insight that nobody else ever had. And I believe all that knowledge came from walking and talking with God. Do you think if we walk and talk with God or commune with God the way that he likes us to, that he would tell us some things, he would show us some things? He told Jeremiah, if you seek me, I'll show you great and mighty things that you have not known. So God wants to reveal some things to us. And he's always revealing something to us in his word. He's going to reveal some things through his word today. Every time we open up the Bible, every time you listen to a preacher, you're going to hear something that you didn't know before. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. And the the Bible even says in the last days, we'll grow in knowledge. Hallelujah. And we have been. Amen. The church has been growing in knowledge. But since sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, God's face-to-face access with his children has become somewhat limited because God cannot uh, fellowship with sin. And so sin entered the world. But he appeared to his people and still spoke to them throughout the Bible. God was looking for ways to manifest himself, ways to talk and fellowship with his children. He spoke with Cain, then Noah and his sons, and then he spoke to Abraham and his wife Sarah. He also appears twice to Hagar, the slave girl who bore Ishmael, Abraham's first child, and he talked to her. And, and the first time he spoke to Moses was on the backside of the desert, and, and he spoke to Moses through a burning bush, or as a burning bush. I mean, here's this bush, it's burning, it's inflamed, and yet it's not being consumed. God. Showing himself to Moses and talking to Moses and he told Moses, he said, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground And that's kind of what he told the children in Mount Sinai He said sanctify yourself wash yourself for two days and he says Even wash your clothes on the third day. I'm going to show myself to you. I'm going to manifest myself to you Isaiah's first revelation of God uh, He's seen in a vision. He says In uh, Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up. Hallelujah. High and lifted up. And he said his train or his glory filled the temple. Yes. Now, I believe that train, you know, like with a bride, she has a little hat on and and the train is the veil that, you know, follows behind her. That's what a train is. And I believe the train of God was the glory of God. And it represented the church in the earth because the church is the glory of God. And that glory filled the temple. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: And then you have the
0: prophets, Amos, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. They actually called themselves seers. Some people say seers, but it's seers because of the times that they seen the Lord. And so, you know, if you had a, a vision or you had a manifestation of God and you've seen him, you would be called a seer. I've seen the Lord. And, and the Jewish Bible emphasizes the fact that while to other prophets, God made himself known in visions and he spoke to them in dreams. But he spoke to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his neighbor. And God was continually manifesting himself to his children in spectacular ways. I mean, I don't know how God could show himself to anybody and it'd be anything less than spectacular. And so God reveals his divine presence, his provision and protection through the, to the children of Israel as they were wandering through the Sinai Desert. And he appeared to them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God shows himself to his people. He wants to show himself to us. Hallelujah. And then before before we go any further, let me explain to you what the Jewish Bible is. It's known as the Torah, or it's also known as the Hebrew Bible. It consists of the first five books of our modern-day Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books are called the Pentateuch, and in the Greek language, the Pentateuch actually means five scrolls. Today we call them five books, but back then they would have been scrolls. So the Torah starts from the beginning of God's creation of, of, of the entire world through the beginnings or the origin of the people of Israel. It also includes their descent into Egypt and the giving of the Torah, guess where? At Mount Sinai when God appeared. And so the Torah ends with the death of Moses in Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Pentateuch, just before the people of Israel Israel are to cross over into the promised land. Now, our Bible continues with the book of Joshua, and then we go on down through the Old Testament, and we have the New Testament. Well, there's parts of the Old Testament that the Jewish Bible doesn't have. One of them is the book of Isaiah, at least the Orthodox Jews, because Isaiah's Uh, visions and explanation of the things that he saw prophetically with the Lord Jesus Christ and the stripes he took on his back, the crucifixion, the grave that he was put in, the resurrection. It's just too much for the Jews to handle because they don't believe he was the Messiah. And then you have Messianic Jews which believe in the Messiah. They're still Jews, but they Mix their religion and their beliefs and their traditions with Christian values because they believe Jesus has come. He is Lord and he's coming again. And the Jewish Bible contains the writings of the prophets. Of course, our Bible does too. And we have a New Testament, which the Jewish Bible does not have. Unless you're a messianic Jew and you believe in the New Testament. But that just gives us a little background of what the Torah is. Because we're going to be talking about that for a little while today. But I want to bring you back now to Mount Sinai in chapter 19. we am going to pick up again with verse 16. And I want to look at that particular manifestation of God and the blowing of the trumpets and what they remind us of. In Exodus 19, 16, it says that it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet." The Torah, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, says the sound of the shofar. Now, this is a shofar. And if you guys are real good today and you listen real well, I might have Matthew blow it for us Because it takes so the lungs of a trumpet blower and it takes the knowledge that a trumpet blower has. And Matthew plays the saxophone, so he's able to blow it. I can squeak out a few tunes, but it's real hard for me. It's easier for him, so I might have him blow that for us here in a little while. But the uh, in Exodus nineteen sixteen it said, uh, "The shofar or the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled." Now that had to be a scary thing. You and I would have been trembling. your knees would have been knocking, the hairs on your neck would have been standing up. Why? Because thunder, lightning, smoke, fire, a quaking, I mean, God is coming down to meet us. That's a scary thing. But as God is descending on the mountain, the shofar is getting louder and louder. The closer God gets, the louder the shofar gets. So it's so powerful that the the people at the base of the mountain were trembling. Uh, the shofar announced to the people that they're about to see God. That had to be a scary thing. They had to be trembling. And then in verse 17, it says, that Moses brought the people out of the camp to what? Meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. A matter of fact, they couldn't touch any part of the mountain. The mountain was so holy at that point in time because of God's ascension on it, that They he, they were instructed not to touch and don't even let an animal, if anybody touches it, they must die. That's how holy that mountain was. So they're trembling. Hey, we're pushing back there. Hey get, hey, get away from me. They were afraid they might get pushed and their foot touched the edge of that mountain and they'd be killed. Run through with the dark. And so uh, they were standing at the foot of the mountain. Don't forget verse 17 said to meet with God. As he's descending on the mountain, the shofar is getting louder and louder and louder. Why? Because the shofar is being blown from heaven, and heaven is coming closer and closer. It's getting louder and louder and louder until it reaches a crescendo, and at that point in time, God appears to his people. How awesome is that? Can you even imagine that? I mean, Mount Sinai is completely covered in smoke because the Lord is descending upon it in fire. It had to be a spectacular display. As a matter of fact, I think God was showing off just a little bit. The smoke's ascending like the smoke of a big bonfire. And the whole mountain is shaking and quaking like an earthquake. And Moses spoke to God, and God answered him in an audible voice. I know you've heard me say, uh, you know, I heard God say this, or God told me that, and I don't want you to think I'm crazy. I've never heard an audible voice from God. I just uh, acknowledge something in my spirit. I feel a knowing in my spirit that still a small voice spoke to me, and still I have to discern it to make sure I heard from God and not some other voice, because there's a lot of voices in the world, and none of them without significance, and so... When you hear that still small voice, you have to discern it and you have to compare it to the word. Did that come from God or my imagination Did I eat too much pizza or is it just my own conscience? Who is it? And you discern whether or not it's God. And if it's God, you act on it. Amen. Amen. And you do what's required of you, whatever God spoke to you. I, I say a lot of times God speaks to me when I'm preparing a sermon or I'm studying. You know, I'll be reading the Bible and and studying a passage of scripture and all of a sudden it don't light up or it don't go bang 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 with me but something just stands out to me and I know that's the Lord showing me something and I'll stop and camp there for a few minutes to see what it is. So here, Moses heard an audible voice. God spoke to him. I wonder what God's voice sounds like. I bet it sounds like thunder. I bet it's scary. It's, it's described in the book of Revelation as, as uh many waters or seas or thunders and things like that So he probably got a booming voice and he speaks to Moses. He personally came down upon Mount Sinai. And then the Lord calls Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses as the representative of the children of Israel, as the representative of the church, the Old Testament church, he goes up to what? Meet with God. And up there is where we got the Ten Commandments and the, to- the writings of the Torah and all of this stuff. And, and, and I'm sure some other things as well. But can you imagine what Moses experienced as God descended on the mountain to meet with them? The thunder, the lightning, the flame reaching up into the sky and the blast of the shofar. I'm telling you, the shofar, I, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of studying on what's going on in Israel. And I've been reading some Jewish writings and I've been listening to some YouTube videos of a real Jewish priests blowing on the shofar and there was this one guy I don't even know if he was a priest. He just had two of these giant shofars. I mean, they might have been four foot long like that And he had both of them up like this and he blew them both at the same time And I'm telling you I got the chill bumps on me you wouldn't believe, boy, because I understand just a little bit of all that what that shofar, shofar represents. But you know when the shofar is or before I say this let me say this Moses uh, ascends up in the mountain and he appears before God or God appears before him and the Jewish Bible said that God appeared on Sinai like a shining sun and comes accompanied by Holy myriads. I guess God has an entourage, you know, just like the president doesn't go anywhere without his entourage. Right. God has one too, except it's a heavenly entourage. So when the chauffeur is blown today, it symbolizes at least 10 significant things to the Jewish people and also to the modern day church, to us as believers. It's, it's signified and symbolizes the same thing. Number one, it's reminiscent of the coronation of a king. You know, the sound of the shofar is comparable to the trumpet blast that announced the coronation of a king. On Rosh Hashanah, and I'll explain the meaning of Rosh Hashanah in in a few minutes. But on Rosh Hashanah, God created the world and assumed the role of his sovereign leader, his sovereign ruler. And it's in the sounding of the shofar that the people of Israel and us as well recognize him as king, our king. And then number two, it stirs our conscience. Rosh Hashanah is the first of the ten days of repentance. And the shofar sounded to to stir our conscience to confront our past sins, repent, and return to God. This is what one of the things that the Shofar symbolizes.
1: Number three, it reminds us of Mount Sinai,
0: the the account we just read. The Shofar is reminiscent of God's revelation at Sinai, which was accompanied by the sounding of the Shofar and the myriads of heavenly hosts. And it reminds us of our destiny, that we are to be people, first of all, the Jews of the Torah, and then we're to be people of the Bible, and we're supposed to do the best that we can to learn it and follow its commandments. That's what it reminds us of. And number four, it's like the exhortations of the prophets. The sound of the shofar is reminiscent of the exhortations of the prophets whose voices Rain out like a shofar, making announcements and denouncing the people's sin and wrongdoing and in calling them to the service of both God and man. Number five is a reminder of the temple's destruction. The shofar reminds us of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and it calls us to strive for Israel's renewal in freedom and in fellowship with God. And I want you to understand something very important. The shofar hasn't been blown in the Jewish temple on Rosh Hashanah since the destruction of Solomon's temple almost 2000 years ago. I think it's like 1950 or 1960 years ago, but almost 2000 years ago. And I want you to keep that in mind because we will visit that again. Number six is a symbol of the ram that Abraham sacrificed. So the shofar is, is a ram's horn. This is made from a ram's horn. They make them out of other horns as well, but for uh, this particular one here is a ram's horn. And it reminds us of the ram that Abraham offered as a sacrifice in place of his son Isaac. And it also reminds us of the heroic faith of the fathers, the Jewish fathers like Abraham. How many know that Abraham was the father of faith? Yeah. Yes. So it reminds us of these things. When we hear the shofar blow, it summons us to a place of humility. It summons us to the feeling of humility, because if you halfway understand what it represents, it will humble you to hear it. it, uh, You know, it's all manifested by all the things and by which our own lives are constantly surrounded. And when we truly understand what the blowing of the shofar represents, it will bring you to a place where you recognize the sovereignty and the greatness of God, and that is humbling to anybody with a conscience. Amen? Amen. Number eight is a reminder of Judgment Day. The shofar reminds us of the day of the final judgment, uh, what the Bible calls the Day of the Lord, and it's calling upon all people in all nations to prepare for God's examination of their deeds in the earth. For the Christian, it will be the judgment seat of Christ. Because right after you hear that show fire, and you're raptured out of here, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to be judged. Not in the way that the world is judged. Not you're uh, not going to be judged because of sin. You're going to be judged for the works that you did in the body of Christ, the deeds that you did in the body body of Christ, and you'll be rewarded according. Number nine, it foreshadows the Jews return from exile. The shofar uh, foreshadows the proclamation of freedom. When Israel exi- uh, Israel's exiled and homeless are to return to the Holy Land, they'll return with the blow of the shofar. That happened in 1948, but still they're constantly returning. God prophesied that he would return the Ethiopian Jews in one day. And in one day, uh, based on the, the contribution of a certain rich man, uh, he chartered enough planes for that to happen. And one day, all the Ethiopian Jews were brought from Ethiopia back to the homeland. That's how it had been done. Uh, and then number ten, and probably the most important, it foreshadows the coming of the Messiah, the second coming of the Messiah. And the shofar announces the end of the present age, which in biblical terms is the end of the church age and the inauguration of God's reign of righteousness. He will reign for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom and he will reign and rule from Jerusalem and will rule and reign with him along with uh, the Jewish, the Messianic Jews that were born again. And it, uh, there'll be a regenerated Israel. Those will be the born again Jews. And will all be people acknowledging that God is one and his name is one. So that's the 10 things that the uh, blowing of the shofar symbolizes and represents. But why is all this so significant? Why is it all so important? Because I believe, now get ready, I believe, and I've said this before, but I believe the church is going to be raptured during the Feast of Trumpets. I'm 99.9% sure that is when the church will be raptured, and uh, it's going to be the Feast of the Blowing of the Shofar, of course, but this year the Feast of Trumpets is on September 18th. I'm not saying uh, 18th and 19th, it's a two-day celebration of Rosh Hashanah. But I'm not saying that it's going to happen this year. I'm just saying it's going to happen during the Feast of Trumpets. Whether it's this year, next year, five, ten years from now, I don't know. No man knows the day or hour, Jesus said. But we can be as close as a day because the uh, Feast of Trumpets, uh, Rosh Hashanah is... uh, Happens over a two-day period, right. and the Jews will send out the Sanhedrin to check for a full moon because that's when the shofar will blow. Now, they don't know if the full moon is going to be on the first day of Rosh Hashanah or the second day. Right. But one of them days is going to be the blowing of the shofar and the wrath of the church. So we can get that close. We don't know the day or the hour, but we can get within a day. We definitely know the season. Jesus said we will know the seasons. Amen. Amen. So, you know, you can think I'm crazy or whatever, or you can believe it or not believe it. That's your choice. You don't have to believe it because I say it's true. But I think that I can prove it through the scriptures and I'm going to do that today. But why am I talking about all this? Why is it so important? Because before we can move forward on God's prophetic timetable, his time clock, temple worship has to be restored to the Old Testament model. In other words, it has to be at the place where it was in the Old Testament with the priests, the clothing, the sacrifices, the types of animals, the blowing of the shofar. All of these things have to be in place before we can move forward on God's prophetic clock. And I'm telling you, the Jewish people are working feverishly over in Israel, trying to get us to that place where they can begin temple worship again. And like I said, they are very, very close. And something really significant happened this week that will show us that they're even closer than we think. And I'm going to share that with you today. I'm not going to leave you hanging on that. But the temple worship has to be restored to the Old Testament model. And that includes the blowing of the shofar, not just the blowing of the shofar, but the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And so uh, here's, the, here's the thing uh, that is so significant and just happened in the last week or two. And I'm not sure, I, I, I didn't check on it since last Wednesday, but it may have already happened. It may have already been approved. I do not know until tomorrow. But a petition was recently submitted by the Sanhedrin and is currently being considered by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, which, if accepted, will permit a Jewish priest to blow the shofar on the Temple Mount to begin the, the celebration, this year's celebration of Rosh Hashanah. Now, what's so insignificant about that? Well, number one, it'll be the first time that the shofar will be blown on the Temple Mount since the last temple was destroyed 2,000 years ago. And what makes it more significant is that it will happen, I'm doing this in the positive because I really believe it's gonna happen, it will happen during Rosh Hashanah this year, September 18th through 19th. Now, Rosh Hashanah, I told you we revisit that, It actually means the head of the year or the beginning of a year. It's a time for new beginnings. And that's why the holiday is referred to as the Jewish New Year. So in short, Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. It is known in the Bible as the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of the Shofar. Rosh Hashanah is like I said, two days long and it usually occurs during the month of September like I said, this month it starts on the 18th. And depending on when the full moon appears to the Sanhedrin will be when they blow the shofar. And it's the first of what the Jews call the high holy days, a 10 day day period that ends with Yom Kippur, which is the highest holy day of the Jewish year, also known as the day of atonement. And there's seven feasts that the Jews celebrate that were man take mandated by God. The Feast of Trumpets is, is one of them where He said that do this as a memorial, as a reminder. Well, there are seven feasts like that that he said to do this as a reminder. And he calls them holy convocations. The Jews observe them every year. The the Christians observe them as well, but in different ways. And uh, so here we have these seven feasts. Uh, that God called holy convocations. And the last three is the day uh, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, atonement means that we're brought back together with God again. Our sins are forgiven, we're brought back together with God. In the, in the Jewish religion, that would happen once a year where the priest would uh, sacrifice two goats, one would be a scapegoat. And that would be the titan shadow of Jesus Christ. And the priest would lay his hands on the goat and pray over it and confess Israel's sins over that goat. And it was believed that the sins of Israel would go into that goat. And then they send it out to the wilderness to be destroyed. And uh, that represented Christ taking our sins to an uninhabited place once and for all. And... uh, so then Israel, the priest would take the blood of that sacrifice into the tabernacle, presented on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And if God accepted the sacrifice, then the Jews were forgiven for a year. Well, Christ was our sacrifice. He was our Passover. He was our ultimate sacrifice. He offered his own blood in the Holy of Holies in heaven. And when that sacrifice was accepted, it started the New Testament. Our sins were forgiven once and for all, forever. We don't have to do it once a year like the Jews do. The Orthodox Jews are still believe in it like that. And so the Feast of Trumpets uh, is heralded the arrival of the seventh month of Tishri in the Jewish calendar. And it also began what is known as the Ten Days of Awe, AWE, the Ten Days of Awe you know, between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, wherein the penitent humble themselves in preparation for the the great Day of Atonement. But besides announcing the arrival of the seventh month and introducing the final cycle of the the festivals, the seventh feast, the Feast of Trumpets had a meaning in its own right. It represents Israel's meaning God and Mount Sinai. So it represents a meeting with God and the reason the Jews had to petition the Prime Minister to blow the shofar on the Temple Mount is because the Temple Mount is shared with the Muslim nation and the Arabs who hate the Jews and hate Israel and don't want them on the Temple Mount anywhere at all but because of laws and things like that they're protected And they're allowed to worship on the temple mount right now only five days a week sunday through thursday that leaves out the Sabbath. that leaves out the start of the Jewish new year rosh hashanah and so in order for them to do that they have to petition the uh prime minister get his permission because then they have to have police protection and everything else because the Muslims and Arabs don't want them up there at all anyway. So now we're going to give them an extra day, they're not going to like that. And so they're trying to do it properly, but it's not unlawful for them to do it. But they're just trying to be respectful and trying not to start a riot or something like that, or even a war. But anyway, shofars are blown in Jewish synagogues all over the world during all kinds of religious services every single week. But according to Jewish law, it's forbidden to blow the shofar on the Sabbath, except for in the temple on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So that's the importance of them being able to blow that trumpet this year, the shofar on the day of Rosh Hashanah in the temple. They can't blow it anywhere else in the world. That means there's not going to be any Jewish synagogues having a local service blowing a trumpet on that day. They can't do it so what's so significant about all this if the jews are allowed to blow the shofar this year in Rosh Hashanah, and like i said i believe they're going to be able to do it it will be the only place in the entire world that the sound of a shofar will be heard and this will mark the first time that a jewish priest will be able will be permitted to perform this powerful act at the holiest site of the world since the destruction of Solomon's temple almost 2,000 years ago. That trumpet blast will be heard round the world. On Rosh Hashanah, the world, according to the Jewish custom, the world is judged, and that aspect of the holiday is taking on dire or serious and urgent meaning. To the Jews, it's a warning and can even be considered a threat foreshadowing disaster, especially under the current conditions that the world is in. Because that piece of real estate is so valuable to the Arabs and the Muslim nations, and until recent years has been occupied only by the Muslim nations. I mean, they haven't been working on the Mount that long. They haven't been allowed up there in a long time. As a matter of fact, they weren't allowed up there until some architects discovered that the temple was not built on top or under, uh, the temple was not underneath the Mosque of Omar. They thought the Mosque of Omar was built on the temple uh, or the old temple grounds. And so the Jews weren't allowed up there at all. That was Mecca, that was a holy place. That was the, the Muslims' holiest place in the universe. And so they weren't allowed up there at all until it was discovered by an architect that the Temple Mount was, the Temple was actually further away, and it wasn't underneath the Mosque. And so the Jews fought to get a right to go up there and worship on, because that's considered holy grounds of the Jews now. They know where the Temple was, and it's not under the Mosque. So it's a privilege for them to get up there. But anyway, uh, there is so much being said about the Arabs and their rights but not a word is being said about the rights and the requirements of the Jews in their biblical homeland and their holiest site no one is speaking about the true ownership of the land and his kingship because the land belongs to God the Bible tells us plainly the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof it all belongs to God And he has given Israel, the land of Israel, including the Temple Mount, to Israel and the church as an inheritance. Remember, Jesus said the meat shall inherit what? The earth. And so it's been given to the church and Israel as an inheritance. And the Torah contains their title, deed. In other words, God gave it to Israel in the Torah. His word is in the Torah that that land belongs to Israel. Of course, the Muslims are denying it. The Antichrist is going to deny it. Everybody's going to deny it except God's people. But in the end, it will be Israel. Jerusalem will belong solely to Israel. So, the blowing of the shofar on the Temple Mount during Rosh Hashanah is not just a simple religious ritual, as it's done in local synagogues around the world on a regular basis, but. This is because in the Jewish synagogue, when they blow the shofar, it's for the Jewish ears to hear only. Nobody else, uh, it's not being blown for anybody else but the Jews. The shofar that's going to be blown from the Temple Mount this year will not just be heard by the Jews, it will also be heard in the ears of every Arab and every Gentile nation Throughout the entire world, like I said, remember that the thing that started the war was the shot that was heard around the world. This is the trump, the shofar that's going to be heard around the world. And so this is a shofar call to the king of kings and the Lord of lords to spread his kingdom to every creature. And this is a shofar call to all nations of the world to repent so now more than ever before the jews prayer uh, for the new year is for almighty god to bless us the, the entire world the jews and the entire world the church the entire world to bless us with life peace and an end to play life peace and an end to play and it's by no coincidence if you went up to heaven and you said hey peter What's the most popular prayer? Google the most popular prayer in the world today. He's going to say it's for life, it's for uh, uh, peace, and it's to end the plague. That's what the, the Google prayer of this century is right now. And so the Jews are going to be praying that for the world. Now, why do I believe the church age will end and the rapture will occur on the Feast of Trumpets? Again, you don't have to believe me. I'm happy with this. Leave me alone. But first of all, the seven feasts of God are prophetic models. They are types and shadows of things to come. And they they are prophetic models of God's eternal plan from creation to eternity itself. And it's being revealed through the nature and the timing of the seven feasts of the Lord. If you look at the seven feasts of the Lord and what they represent, it shows you that from creation to eternity exactly what's going to happen in the kingdom of God and upon the earth. Now I'm going to give you a few examples of that. Uh, based on the prophetic models of the seven feasts and what they portray. The entire human race, including the church, now exists between two of these seven feasts. Three of them have fully come to pass, and one has come to pass partially. And the church is living between the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. We had the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost came. The church uh, was born. The church age started. We're living in the church age. We're living in the book of Acts. Until the feast of trumpets that will mark the end of the church age the restart of the prophetic clock of Daniel's 70th week and that will uh, conclude with the rapture of the church now, let me show you something so uh, God gave Moses the dates and observances of the seven feasts on Mount Sinai where he also uh, Gave him the Ten Commandments and the Torah was written So far, the first three feasts represent the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they were totally and flawlessly fulfilled to perfection. You can't find one flaw. They were prophesied and they were fulfilled exactly like they were prophesied. Exactly like the feast itself represented. No errors whatsoever. No deviations whatsoever. Perfectly fulfilled and only God himself could do that. Jesus was sacrificed on the feast of Passover, buried the next day on the feast of unleavened bread, and raised the third day on the feast of first fruits, which is exactly what the feast portrayed. Then we have the fourth feast, the feast of Pentecost. In late May or early June, Pentecost marked the summer harvest. The law requires an offering of two loaves of bread baked with leaven. The two loaves are symbolic of the church being made up of both Jews and Gentiles. That's the two loaves of bread. The first four feasts were in the spring revealing that Jesus was crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, raised on first fruits. And then he sent the comforter one exactly like himself The Holy Spirit, as he promised 50 days after the Resurrection on the day of Pentecost, that's when the church is born. And that's where we started living between Pentecost and uh, the Feast of Trumpets. And because we've not yet seen the fulfillment of Feast number five, the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of the Shofar, the Solomon of the Shofar, we remain under the order of Pentecost. We're still living in the book of Acts. And so uh, we will continue living in the Book of Acts until the Feast of the Trumpets and the Rapture of the Church. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is the next feast to take place. So why would we even think that it won't be totally and flawlessly and perfectly fulfilled just like the first three feasts? We have no reason to believe it will be any different. And if it is fulfilled, perfectly and flawlessly without error, without deviation, then it will announce the rapture of the church and the end of the church age and the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. It has to, it cannot do anything than what the prophetic model says it will do. Amen. Amen. And then there's the uh, two more feasts after that and they will be fulfilled exactly like that uh, just quickly without any Real explanation, the the Day of Atonement represents an atoning with God, a bringing back God's people to him. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles means a dwelling place. It means that uh, in the Feast of Tabernacles, it means that God will come down and tabernacle or live with his people. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do during the millennium reign, the thousand-year reign. So anyway, as you know, trumpets or shofars had a significant place in Jewish history, had a significant place in the Torah and in the Bible. For example, it was used when Joshua conquered Jericho. The shofar sounded and Joshua conquered Jericho. It always announces something spectacular. In Leviticus 25 and 8, He specified its use in having trumpets to proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And that quotation appears on the Liberty Belt in Philadelphia, proving once again that it was Bible readers that found this country. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. But anyway, Leviticus 23, I threw that in for free, it won't cost you a thing. Leviticus 23, 24, Leviticus is the book of the law, and it requires that in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial, of blowing of trumpets. So this interim of time from the Feast of Pentecost to the Feast of Trumpets is, as we know, the church age. And the feast of trumpets will unquestionably end the church age and announce the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17, we all know this well. For the Lord Himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the shofar of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet. The Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord that trumpet on Mount Sinai announced the Descent of the Lord to the earth and the people going to meet him That same shofar in Titan shell represents The Lord returning in the clouds to catch the church up and we will meet with him in the air and go back to heaven. Amen. Amen? So the sounding of the shofar was a signal for the field workers to come to the temple. The high priest actually blew the shofar so that the faithful people would stop harvesting and come to the temple to worship.
1: And that's exactly
0: what's gonna happen when the, the trumpet is sounded for the rapture of the church. We're going to the temple to worship
1: and jesus christ is our high
0: priest and when he blows us so far we're coming out of the harvest fields the harvest fields of the earth and we're going to meet with god in the clouds and worship him amen. amen i'm running out of time here but i got one more thing now according to 1 corinthians chapter 15 which is the companion scripture to 1 thessalonians four sixteen and 17 believers that are alive on the earth at that time will cease their harvest and rise from the earth and the church will be taken out of the world. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 55 it says, Behold Paul saying this to the Corinthian church, I show you a mystery. It was a mystery then, it's not a mystery anymore. Right. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. Yeah. I mean mortality has to put on immortality. And so, uh, he says, we'll all be changed. Uh, whether you're dead or alive, when he comes, you're going to be changed. And then he says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last, what? Trump for the trumpet shall sound, the shofar shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible, if you're alive at the time of his coming, this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? that's the rapture of the church amen. Amen. amen like i said you don't have to believe me you can think i'm crazy or whatever but search it out for yourself this is recorded now if you want to you can listen to it again uh don't just take my word for it check it out for yourself amen, amen. like i said i'm convinced i'm happy with it so leave me alone and do whatever you want hallelujah, hallelujah. But there's coming a the day, now, I mean, we have to be changed. Now we're gonna be changed in a moment in the 20th of not. not raptured in the moment in the 20th of I think we're gonna be raptured slow and easy. I think everybody's gonna see us go because right after they see that, there's gonna be a revival here in the earth, amen? Right. So God ain't gonna come down here and sneak us out. That's right. Amen? Right. We don't have an escape mentality. I'm teaching you this stuff so we have an acceleration mentality. Amen. Instead of looking forward to an escape, let's look forward to accelerating in this these last days and getting as much done for the kingdom of God as we can possibly get done. Do as much witnessing as you can. Do as much coming to church as you can. Learn as much as you can. Because what, when you leave here, you're only leaving with what you've got. Such as I have, give I thee If I don't have it, you ain't getting it Amen Amen. And it's the same when you go to heaven You're taking your soul with you And when you die before he comes to go to heaven Your spirit takes his soul with you That's your mind, your will, and your emotions You're going to remember everything as you know it now You're not going to be no smarter when you get to heaven You might be smarter after you've been there a while But you're not going to be any smarter when you get to heaven and you're going to feel a little bit silly compared to some of them people that are going with you that know things about the Word of God and know things about the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So I'm just telling you this. You know, I, I didn't even want to preach on the end times anymore. I thought I was through at least for a while.
1: But I did tell
0: you that if something significant happens over in the Middle East, I will let you know about it. Well, I'm letting you know about it. you watch this at but even, even before that, you wait and watch for the approval of that priest to blow the shofar in the Temple Mount during Rosh Hashanah. And I'm telling you, I, I just can't tell you how important and how significant that is. And I'm not predicting anything and I'm not saying something is going to happen. Matthew, and right down here. I'm not saying that something is going to happen uh, that we can see physically or something that will manifest itself when that shofar is blown on the temple mount for the first time in almost 2,000 years. But I'm telling you, something significant will happen in the spirit. Something is going to start moving in the spirit that never moved before. The blowing of that shofar represents new beginnings. Something new is going to begin. Something new is going to happen. Whether or not you can see it with your physical eyes, I don't know. But even if it starts in the spirit, you will eventually see the manifestation of it with your physical life because it will manifest itself in the physical realm. Amen. Let me just give you an idea of what this shofar sounds like. And then you will have to magnify it a hundred times to have any idea what it's going to sound like on the Temple Mount uh, in that location where it's at. They don't need sound equipment on the Temple Mount. And I'm telling you, that so far, if it's not heard uh, physically throughout the entire world, God magnifies it supernaturally, like He can do whatever He wants. Uh, if it's not heard that way, it's going to be heard through CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and CBN. Uh, it will be heard around the world. Amen. Right, man, go and go. I'm not sure. it ain't <laughs> 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 uh, there you go. Man. <laughs> I'm telling you, it gives me chills when I hear it because I know a little bit about what it represents. Amen man, when you hear that bone by the priests of God. Whew. I can't even begin to describe what it's going to sound like or what it's going to do for there. Well, we love you and appreciate you. God bless you. Uh, I'll see you again on Wednesday night, Facebook family. Thanks for joining us. Hit the share button if you thought this was worth sharing. And uh, thanks for being with us. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night as well.